All right, man. Welcome to the intro for Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast, Episode Fifty Six. Uh, Jason and I are going to talk about alchemy. Um, we live in a world that is made up of what we call natural elements. Everything man-made is just that and has no natural existence, logically. If we logically reason that natural things make up where and how we exist, we will begin to see through these illusions made by men. The idea in what I just said is meant to underscore the importance of people beginning to understand something about alchemy. It's encoded everywhere. Whether it's encoded in a thing or the ideas are existent in a thing, it's in all the religions I have looked at. It is in so many of the false events that we identify uh, on this show. It's in nursery rhymes. It's, I mean, it's everywhere. Um, these very old ideas, and uh, they clearly relate to what became Eastern religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, the, the more old, supposedly old Indian traditions. But before we jump in, I'm going to describe the thumbnail I made because so many people are going to look at it and, uh, well, who knows what people will think. But anyhow, I did this for a reason, um, to demonstrate, um, to, to kind of shift the context of your mindset. If we look at the thumbnail that you're probably looking at now, the Mercury symbol has been overlaid with a traffic sign that represents the crossroads. That is the Mercury symbol, and the idea of the crossroads is held right within the symbol where I've placed the traffic sign. To the left of the traffic sign is the actual alchemical symbols used for two of the elements, air on top, water on the bottom. The arrows signify what can be done with water, transmuting it from water, heating it up, it becomes air, and it can go back again. This is a very basic alchemical principle. Right below that, I took a line from a Robert Johnson sign. Uh, in my view, Robert Johnson never existed. He's an alchemical construct meant to launch the beginning of a spell, and he was foundational in a lot of Western music, we are told. Anyhow, I'll cover this a little bit more in a minute, but it says, I went down to the crossroads, of course, Mercury, fell down on my knees. Well, why did Robert Johnson fall down on his knees? The reason he fell down on his knees is because... The winter solstice, which the S makes the word solstice, going down to the sun's lowest point at 1221. The allegory for hell, fire and ice, when the sun is at its lowest point. You'll see the sign for Capricorn the goat, which the sun is moving into as it comes out of its lowest point, which is the winter solstice. Capricorn is symbolized by the knees. That is the part of the body Capricorn symbolizes. That is why Robert Johnson fell down on his knees. And of course, the little crow cartoon is pointing out a very obvious thing here. When you get to the crossroads, you have to make a choice. You have to turn left or right or go straight, or I suppose you could even go back. I suppose if you wanted to get into the idea of the fifth element, which is um, sometimes used in alchemy, you could sit at the crossroads until you die. I suppose that's a fifth option. <laughs> Not much of an option, but my point here is that the crossroads will play prominently in the alchemical coding, and it just demonstrates, and you will see as I break down Robert Johnson here in a second. Before I move on, I want to point out something about the hoax dinosaur episode we just did. National Geographic released a new dinosaur about a day or two after we released that episode. Get this. It was discovered on the vernal equinox of 2011. There's your 11 code, the beginning of the casting of a spell. The vernal equinox relates directly, directly to when alchemical procedures need to begin at the spring. In the spring, which the spring equinox is. The name of this supposed new dinosaur that is a 110 million years old, again the 11 code, is Nodosaur. So many have pointed out that it sounds like no dinosaur, which is a true statement, but I will take it a bit further. The prefix of that supposed dinosaur is Nodo. It is taken from the Latin notus, and in the etymology of the word notus from Latin, you can find it holds the word crux, which is basically cross, and road junction, so there you have your crossroads. 
When you are brought to the crossroads, you have to make a decision. The decision you are being forced to make here, using alchemical means to transmute the world mind, in my view, is whether to believe in this nonsense and go into a fantasy-based reality, or do not believe and do not go into that fantasy-based reality. Just wanted to add that in on the tale of the dino show. Get back to alchemy. It is encoded everywhere. Did you know that the Silver Surfer is encoding Mercury? Of course he is. Um, he is a herald as Hermes, or Mercury is a herald to the gods. Silver Surfer is a herald to the god Galactus, who transmuted the Silver Surfer into Quicksilver, which is Mercury itself. There's much more. Of course, Galactus has the little Mercury horns on top of his, uh, his helmet there. Moving on. It's encoding uh, al alchemy, and the idea of Mercury is encoded in the whole new coax. Um, this was so succinctly pointed out by a channel called New Coax when he unveiled the very foundational nonsense of nukes, which is Marie Curie, unveiled now as Mercury. But I'll take it a little further. The Bikini Atoll, we are told, was bombed by nuclear weapons for testing. The name of that operation was Operation Crossroads. There's your key letting you know that an alchemical process to transmute the world mind into a fantasy-based reality is going on. Um, in this case, we can actually take the idea of Mercury and show what they were showing. They're having this huge superheated explosion, supposedly, which heats up the water, which is the water sign, Mercury, transmutes it into steam up into the air, and then at some point it comes back down, transmuting back into water again. Now let's do Robert Johnson very quickly before we jump in with Jason and tackle alchemic, al al alchemy excuse me, in a real way. Robert Johnson was a blues singer and a guitarist who we are told lived from 1911, oh, 1911, let me count the ways, to 1938. If you take these down in basic numerology, you're encoding 911 twice in both the birth and death date. He recorded 29 songs, which also encodes 911. 9 plus 2 is 11. In the same way 711 encodes 911, so does 29 or 92. He encoded 29 songs between 1936 and 1937. Of course, Robert Johnson is said to have gone to the crossroads, hint, hint, to sell his soul to the devil. Well, the songs he recorded were in 1936. That encodes 666. He recorded these songs for the American Record Corporation, which were uh, released, 11 of them were released, there's the 11 again, on 78 RPM records. And apparently one after his death, we are told. One thing you'll notice about biographies of Robert Johnson is they almost ref all refer to him as a boy child. That's an alchemical encoding of information. In the song The Crossroad Blues, as an example, was recorded on November 27. Again, we have 9-11 encoded, um, and it was released 1936, or 1936 was the other, oh, in 1936, I'm sorry. It was, it was recorded November 27, encoding 9-11, and the year was 1936, again, encoding 666, the idea of the devil, which is actually nothing more than the sun at the winter solstice or its low point, and that's also symbolized in the Mercury symbol with the horns. It was recorded in San Antonio, Texas. Let's break down the words to Crossroad Blues, or a few of the words real quick, so you can see the idea of alchemy being encoded into the Robert Johnson song. I went down to the crossroads, Mercury, fell down on my knees, encoding the Capricorn goat, the idea of hell, maybe even the devil in there. Standing at the crossroad, baby, Rising sun going down. Well, wait a minute. How can a rising sun be going down? Well, it's simple. The idea here is that when we're approaching the winter solstice, the sun is going down to its lowest point. So as this happens, the morning sun is still rising, but it is going down to its lowest point. This is now chemical encoding. Standing at the crossroads, baby, E-E-E, -E -E, rising sun going down. I believe to my soul, which is actually the sun, S-O-L, now poor Bob is sinking down. Bob is playing the role of the sun here. 
I went to the crossroad, Mama. I looked east and west. Well, Robert, why didn't you look north and south? Well, he looked east and west because that is the ecliptic. That is the path of the sun. I went down to the crossroads, baby. I looked east and west. There is no portion of this that is not alchemically encoded. So before I jump in with Jason, I will state, in my view, Robert Johnson is an alchemical construct, begin to lay the groundwork for later nonsense that was done with rock and roll music and other forms of music. To be clear, Robert Johnson did, in fact, go to the crossroads in our minds. He did not meet the devil. That was a symbol for alchemy and Mercury, and the Sun at its low point, which is 1221, which also encodes 33. Um, he fell down on his knees, because that is the symbol for Capricorn the goat when the Sun is at its lowest point. Then the transmutation takes place. We're told that the, he sold his soul to the devil, soul being SOL for the Sun, but what actually happened was in conjunction with alchemical ideas in the Sun, he was transmuted from just normal Robert Johnson into blues guitar god. So there it is, man. You can break this stuff down, and for a lot of people that will be a bridge too far, but it's all there. Um, and in my view, it's not deniable. In my view, Robert Johnson is an alchemical construct, which was a foundational brick to begin to transmute the world mind into a fantasy-based reality. Anyhow, let's jump in with episode 56 and Jason Lindgren, and let's learn something about alchemy and see if it takes us any further down the road. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast, episode 56. I have Jason Lindgren with me, and we are going to address alchemy. Um, this is a tough subject, particularly... Um, since over the past couple months, it has really come to light that there are so many of the things we cover are alchemically encoded. And uh, I haven't done the intro yet, but I intend in the intro to both explain the thumbnail of this episode and go back on a few of the things we have covered to demonstrate uh, that the alchemical ideas are in fact held very dear by Masons, by the ruling class, and in the encoding of our world, uh, for what it's worth. And I imagine as time goes on, um, this ball of yarn will unravel more and more. But anyhow, Jason, welcome. This is going to be a tough one to kind of lay down for people. This subject intertwines with so much of the other stuff, if not all of the other stuff that we've discussed. It's important that we, we do this, and maybe we should have even done it sooner. Yeah, I agree. Um, for so long, I've been looking at the idea that alchemy had been being used to transmute the world mind. And then, of course, with the hoaxbuster clip unveiling Marie Curie as Mercury, um, it really shined a light in the right spot. And uh, I think so many of us researchers kind of leveraged off what he did there. He's got a new clip up now covering that little missing girl. What was her name? Madeline. Sounds like Magdalene. Get it, get it. You should go over to Hoaxbuster. Check it out. I will also give a shout out to the Jungle Surfer again. Um, he's got a blog going that starts to get into numbers. And for the average person, there's real value there. If for no other reason, you will begin to see patterns. Um, and I know a lot of people have trouble with accepting the idea that numbers are encoding our world, but I'm sorry, man. It is what it is. Anyhow, Jason, we've got a heck of a list. I'm going to make a real effort in this episode not to interrupt you and to try <laughs> to have more smooth transitions. We did get comments, and, you know, it's it's tough because as you're going through, when I make notes, I'm missing what you're saying and I'm forgetting things. It's just um, on a couple of these topics where there is just so much information, it's, it's a difficult thread to unweave for folks. But anyhow, I'll kick it over to you. Let's get into this thing and, uh, and do what we can. And I will mention um, – in a way, this is a very foundational episode. Regardless of what you think about masonry, about alchemy, about encoded numbers, about a ruling class, there is so much information in what we're about to point out. And I, I guess I should go at this another way. I, I want to go at this another way. The information that we're going to point out here is what's available in the public record. And as we state so often, um, uh, history is likely a lie agreed upon. But as this is the information that is put out into the public for the public to consume, it is a basis to be challenged. And while I suspect the, the historical dates that we've been given are as much as a thousand years off in some cases, and in many cases, the, the players and characters fabricated, you will find as we go through this episode that alchemy is encoded in absolutely everything. So I'll shut up there. Over to you, Jason. 
All right. And folks do need to understand that it's not that you're interrupting to be rude. It's that when you do this kind of research, uh, you get so much information in your head that, you know, one thing will trigger the next, the next, the next, the next, and, and you just want to get it out there. It's it's not a question that we're trying to speak over each other. It's just that, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot going on in our brains. <laughs> <laughs> it does speak to my need, to the need that I that I improve how I, uh, how I do my jump in. So I will strive to do that. So to start this whole discussion off, I feel that right in the beginning, it's very important to mention that in the past, the far past, which obviously we don't know exact dates, there was no separation between science and religion or spirituality, which intertwined. This is why we find alchemy mixed with other areas of science throughout all of known history. The ancient arts of alchemy can be traced to Egypt, Greece, China, India, and Arabia, and this would be long before it would have made its way into Europe and taken on the uh, public stereotype that most people think of as alchemy today. The truth is that alchemy is much more about the purification of the spirit than any of the physical materials, although that does have its own role to play and, and was, of course, the forerunner to chemistry. Right. So a couple things here. Um, I am familiar and have some experience with spagyrics, which is basically the alchemy of herbs, um, where you create tinctures and things like this. But um, I will state that the physical processes like you might be familiar with in a laboratory where you're using a flask to do things to matter um, is also teaching you something about yourself in that process. So they're really interlinked and interrelated. I did get my hands on a book uh, covering alchemy that was from, I think, 1901 or two or something like that. It's pretty old. And the statements that are made there is that from Arabia – uh, alchemy went into, I believe it was Spain, and was being taught in the universities there. So that is the claim. So there it is. So the word alchemy seems to have come from the Arabic word alchemia. Most likely, it's an even older derivative of the chem, C-H-E-M, in alchemy and chemistry, that actually comes from an ancient name for Egypt, which is Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. And the derivative of that is chem, K-H-E-M, or K-H-A-M-E, or K-H-M-I, which means Black Earth. So this is interesting because it probably, again, encodes and relates to one of the first steps in alchemy, which is called Negrito, or the blackening. Uh, we have the Black Earth here. Uh, I started to draw the lines to the nuclear hoaxed bomb drops in Hiroshima and Nagasaki as probably relating to this, the idea of Black Earth. And in the Negrito definition, you, you can actually find examples where they're talking about taking Earth, putting it in a sealed flask, and blackening it. So there's that to consider. Now, the story is said to have started with the Egyptian god, and the Egyptians called their gods, I'm not sure if it's Neters or Netters, N-E-T-E-R-S, and the god was called Thoth. Thoth is supposed to have given man all sorts of different knowledge, from writing to mathematics to art and to alchemy. Thoth is said to have written many sacred texts. The one to the most given to the most revered followers was called the Emerald Tablet, but I've also seen that pluralized in the mythology. So the, maybe the implication is that there's multiple Emerald texts. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people listening may be familiar with the Kabbalion and the Emerald Tablets. And um, one thing about alchemy and some of the ideas in what's called the Emerald Tablets or the Kabbalion uh, to some degree um, is when you logically begin to break them down, they bring you right to nature. And they seem very logical. They seem very related to a natural world if there is such a thing. As an example, and I'm pulling this from memory, I hope I get it right, there's these basic ideas put forth in these texts like mentalism, correspondence, vibration, polarity, rhythm, cause and effect, which is basically karma in other parts of the world, and then gender. When you begin to logically look at these things, they relate so directly to alchemy because if we take gender as an example, and so much of the encoded alchemy alchemical imagery we get, which is intended both to mislead and to guide, uh, according to what I'm researching now, gender comes up a lot. You'll often see a king and a queen uh, engaged in coitus, as an example, both wearing crowns, which speaks to the abilities that each person has innately um, to be this kind of higher being, but they're engaged in coitus and the example being 
shown in many cases is opposites being brought together. And again, this relates to the Negrito process. And I know this is a lot of information. Um, I'll try to keep it concise. But anyhow, back to you, Jason. Yeah, there is a lot of information we're going to go through here. So I'm trying to speak as clearly and distinctly as possible. So if folks want to take notes and go research this stuff further, they can. Uh, there is a whole lot to this this subject. So anyway, Thoth started off as a moon god and was also said to be the scribe of the gods. Now, with the mingling of the Greeks and the Egyptians, as people moved out from their respective areas, however that really happened way back when, we see the Greek form of the god as Hermes, or Hermes... Trismegistus. Trismegistus, the thrice great Hermes. From this, we got the term the Hermetic Arts, or the Arts of Hermes. He is the supposed author of the Hermetic corpus, which were a series of sacred texts that are the basis of Hermeticism. And let's not forget that Hermes is the name of the god in Greek. And what is the name of the god in the Roman pantheon? Mercury. So there it is. We begin to see these seemingly old ideas and all the characters that are playing in them uh, becoming wrapped up in myth. Um, And I will point out, uh, I've been on the alchemical thing for a little while now, um, actually years, but seriously for a while now. Um, Would you be surprised to know that alchemy and the alchemical ideas are wrapped up uh, in religion, as I have shown, where we showed that Freemasonry was used to encode uh, the Bible and that the top three guys in Britain, uh, the king, a couple other guys, I've forgotten their name, Carlisle and a Duke of something, uh, were using the actual foundational elements, earth, wind, or earth, air, fire, water, to encode the NRI on the top of the Christian cross to become passwords in the uh, Masonic lodges. But would you be further surprised to learn that it, these alchemical ideas are actually saturated and encoded through nursery tales or fairy tales? Two prime examples that I'm currently studying are the Mother Goose fairy tales and Grimm's fairy tales. And it's there. Um, it's not It's not just a claim being made. You can actually see and begin to understand that it is encoded there. So these ideas that we're talking about have made it basically into everything from myth to nursery to religion. It's just everywhere. Now, when you're saying that, what you're implying is that the story is a story of transformation or transmutation, right? Well, in some cases, yes, and in other cases, no. I mean, in in the case of Mother Goose, uh, even just the name of it, I think it was My Mother the Goose originally or something like that, but the goose plays heavily into alchemical ideas because both that it migrated and also the egg idea, the egg symbolizing the sealed flask where alchemical processes are happening, but at the same time, it's a sealed egg where life is going to come forth. So... um, In some of the 20th century accounts of of what I'm studying now, people are referring to them as archetypal ideas. And they even make um, efforts to show the ideas of like the difference between conscious and subconscious, how our consciousness, you know, is driven by language and all these other things. And the claim being made that your subconscious speaks a different language and that language is symbolism and that in some ways our subconscious is universal around the world where we all share these concepts and ideas that are archetypal. It's a very hard thing to describe. So maybe I'll leave it there for now. Now, we spoke about the genesis of alchemy in a certain part of the world, but it also is seen very early in the Far East. So the genesis of alchemy in China may have been a purely domestic affair. It emerged during a period of political turmoil the Warring States period from the 5th to the 3rd century BC, and it came to be associated with Taoism, which we've discussed here before, uh, It's a myst- which is, of course, a mystical religion founded by the 6th century BC sage Lao Tzu and the sacred book Tao Te Ching. The Taoists were a miscellaneous collection of outsiders in relation to the prevailing Confucians, and such mystical doctrines such as alchemy were soon grafted onto the Taoist canon. What is known of Chinese alchemy is mainly owing to this graft, and especially to a collection known as Yun Qi Qi Xian, the Seven Tablets and a Cloudy Satchel, which is dated to 1023. So it appears that sources on alchemy in China, and as of course happened elsewhere, they're compilations of earlier writings. 
You know, and this is a little off topic, but when I when I see you going through times like it gets me thinking about the dark ages, how we've been told there were these supposed dark ages in Europe where nobody knew anything. Nobody could write. There's no history. There's no. But you see, you're getting into China here. Did China China have a dark ages at the same time as we did? Did India? Um, so we see these alchemical ideas in all these different parts of the world and all the cultures and nearly every culture we can look at. And um, I, I, the reason I'm mentioning this is because the Dark Ages seems to be an obfuscation for the Western world, which ends up providing so much of what the world follows and accepts as correct. Um, and I just want to get that out there. And, you know, if we ever go after the whole timeline scenario, perhaps we could try to cross-reference things from other cultures outside of the Western Hemisphere and see if things match up or not. Right. And the timelines that were handed. And again, uh, if my current view, I highly suspect that the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages is a kind of dividing line where the modern history began to be rewritten and whatever came before was being swept away. And uh, as an example to the topic we're covering, um, so many people who probably started to listen to this episode think that alchemy is hokum. Um, the reason they think that is because of chemistry. And yet, when we begin to logically look at chemistry and logically look at alchemy, what we find is that one is very in tune with nature. And I'll use an example here because of spagyrics, which I'm familiar with. Um, some of the ideas in spagyrics is that if you harvest your herb, well, all alchemical procedures have to be done according to time of year. Now, people will immediately begin to think of astrology and, and think hokum, but this is not it at all. Think of planting. When we go out to plant a seed, it has to be done at a certain time of year. It is exactly this. There is a season for all things. This is the idea behind alchemy. Now, when you get into chemistry, the exact opposite is true. You don't give a darn what day, what phase of the moon, where the sun is in the course of a year. You can do a chemical procedure any old time you want. And it begins to kind of demonstrate the main differences between these two things as one is very man-made and the other very tied to what we call nature. Yeah, absolutely. So next, let's lay down some actual definitions for folks. I tried to give a little bit backstory and history. Now let's actually define what it is we're talking about. So the actual straightforward definition of alchemy. It's the forerunner to modern chemistry. And although mainstream definitions will limit it to matters of physical transformations of one substance to another, and the most well-known being the transmutation of lead into gold, the truer nature of alchemy was the transformation and purification of the soul. The search for the alchemical gold is the search for wisdom, light, perfection, and enlightenment, all within oneself. So you start to get into some of the encoding and the idea that in much of the alchemical tradition, there is no starting point in some cases offered to people. They have to get there by their own will and intuition. But to come back to the chemistry versus alchemy idea, um, in most things that I have researched about alchemy, um, one of the very ingenious claims that is made about it is that if a creator or whoever put this place together that we live, however we got here, Alchemy applies because no thing can be lost. Uh, if we take the alchemical idea of mercury, which is a water symbol, um, it can change from water into air and back into water as an example. So the four elements of all natural – our natural world are covered here and the idea being that they just kind of transmute one into the other and it provides that nothing can be lost. Now, if we look at chemistry, certain chemicals can be made that are just nasty. Um, there's no good way to deal with them after they're made. They're toxic. Um, so you get the idea that is, is coming here. But the idea of taking a metal, which alchemy is a huge part of the metallurgical idea ideas, which of course relates to Cain, which of course relates to the Masonic tradition and religion all at the same time, the idea of gold truly is representing a perfection of a human being or a kind of enlightenment. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned spagyrics, and here's the definition of that. It's the practical application of alchemy. One is theory and the other is practice. So spagyrics is a process of creating philosophical medicines that are made in harmony with the nature of the substance that is being worked with. The word spagyrics comes from the Greek words spao, S-P-A-O, meaning to separate, and gyro, or gyro, 
G-Y-R-O, meaning to combine. Thus, a certain natural substance is separated into its principal components, exalted or concentrated, and recombined into a higher state of being. A true spagyrist not only purifies and evolves a piece of matter, but is purifying and evolving themselves with it. It is about spiritually advancing yourself at the same time as you are creating and altering these substances. This is what makes alchemy a true spiritual system. Everything done in the external is also done in, in the internal, and thus the medicine is embodied. So spagyrics is where I began to realize that alchemy is not hokum, that it is another method in our existence that can be used correctly or misused. Um, in the case of how we see it relating to so many of the false things in our world, clearly, in my view, it's being misused. But I've grown things my entire life. I've grown herbs. At one point, I was reading in the Farmer's Almanac because they list planting tables and all these other things, that if you harvested your certain herbs on a full moon, that they were more potent. I quickly came to understand that this is true. This ties one of the very basic principles of alchemy to what I was witnessing in real life, where what is a season? Does where the sun is in the course of year matter? Does what the moon full or not matter? Well, yes, it does. And we can see this in plants. That was my personal experience. Now, as I got into spagyrics, I began to be amazed because you basically take these herbs, you do, I guess, what would be considered the negrito process where you reduce them to ash, then you recombine them, you go through all these processes to get a tincture at the end. But there are all these rules associated with spagyrics about what herb relates to what portion of the year. For the average person, this would be seemingly astrology, which it really is not. And although I, I need to point out again, the zodiac is not hokum. The zodiac is how we place the sun in a year. Now, much effort has been made to make it look like hokum through certain cheesy astrologies like what you find in the newspaper and other things, but there is no getting away from the reality of it. If you want to know where the sun is, you need to know what constellation is behind it, and that constellation will be a zodiacal constellation. That is why the zodiac is so important. To get back to the herbs, there are certain herbs that relate to, say, the sun or these other things, and this is the process of alchemy, probably at a very low level, but you do, in fact, begin to relate these ideas to yourself as a human being. Absolutely. And, and the, the thing that's going on here is that you're trying to do – basically, it is chemistry. You're doing a chemical work but in tune with the nat the nature of everything around you. You're intertwining these things. You're not just doing a process in a laboratory. You're making sure that everything is flowing together in harmony, and that that's the way I, I took it as I was doing this research. Right, and there's also, you know, it, it, it even can be simplified more. You know, if we looked at physics, you know, when I was a young in school, the idea was that physics would simplify and simplify and simplify until there was this one elegant, little mathematical equation that did it all. And what we see in physics is the exact opposite. We're up to a particle zoo and it just keeps getting more complex and complex and shows like the Big Bang where theoretical people have really taken it over and they make up all these things to make their theories work out. In alchemy, we have the exact opposite. There are four elements, you know, water, earth, fire, and air, and sometimes a fifth, which I believe was Socrates or Plato, added the idea of ether because of the stars for some reason. I'm not all the way through that. My point is, whenever we see a simpl simplified system that relates directly to what we call nature, I think we have to pay attention. And I stated in the last episode my feelings on the periodic table. We'll probably end up doing a show on the periodic table, but um, just based on what they're naming, the last few elements that have been added and the things that I was noticing in there, man, it looks like just an obfuscation and a complication that removes any of those ideas from the average person and really puts it in the universities. And not only that, it's all man-made, you know, to boot. So anyhow, getting back. The concept of the ether is actually interesting because that lasted all the way up into the 1800s. You know, it was basically the forerunner to what modern physicists would call space-time. And uh, even the interactions of dark matter is, is all the things that they're throwing out these days because they can't figure out how these things actually interrelate. But basically it was the concept of how the, the planetary body is moving, what they're moving through, because they have to be in something and that is what they came up with. 
Right. And again, in alchemy, um, I find a closer relation to my view on what space is or what the planets actually are. Um, they're symbolic. Um, they're much like the zodiac, almost like a clock um, imitating what the season is, or maybe not imitating is the wrong word, like the clock that will allow you to understand exactly where you are in the course of a year. Um, in the religious episode we did with Masonic encoding, we went over what the acceptable year of our Lord was to the Masonic tradition. Um, there's no getting away from these things. Now, the following points I'm going to go through are just definition points about alchemy that I called from different sources. And I'll pause after each one of them in case there's anything you want to contribute to them, because uh, I did pull them from different places and they're not in any particular order. So the first one would be that alchemy is a theory of nature as made up of primary elements. This is the ultimate simplification of our world in a way um, to what we call nature, and it's even echoed in religious texts. As an example, all are of the dust and all shall return to the dust again. This is an alchemical idea. Next, we have a belief in the gradual evolution and transformation of substance. So this is key again. It is a simplification of the evolutionary idea that we all grew up with in school. Um, it's a bit different, too, because what it's basically saying is these four elements, or five if you want to accept ether, basically transmute one from the other into the other or can be transmuted one into the other into the other. In other words, nothing is ever lost, and it's a bit like that Ouroboros symbol where the snake is eating its tail, which symbolizes one into one. Um, and a kind of cyclical motion. And it's very simplified, easy to think about, and really a no-nonsense no way to go at things. Next, we have a system for inducing transmutation. So there it is. That's the alchemical system. And I used mercury as the water sign example earlier, where maybe at the Bikini Atoll is a good example. We're told they popped a nuke there, and you see all this water blown up out of the ocean, and it is transmuted into steam into the air. And then seemingly at some point, it falls back down and becomes water again. That's just an encoded example from the nuke hoax. The imitation of nature by a gentle technology. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. The faith that one's inner being is changed by participation in external chemical experiments. So this is a big idea here, and the spagyrics that I talked about earlier is what got me thinking about this in the first place, because as I was trying to do these things with herbs, I began to realize that it could relate to a human being and that I could do these physical processes that might teach me something about a more spiritual process. A general system of synchronistic correspondences between planets, colors, herbs, minerals, species of animals, signs and symbols, parts of the body, astrological signs, and anything else in nature, known as the doctrine of signatures. There it is, man, just paying attention to the environment. And we've all kind of been sucked into a man-made way, which is so far from what we call nature. Um, I can even give an example that's maybe not too far afield for what we're talking about here. Um, think about how children these days sit in front of a TV and are taught by cartoon-talking animals. That's not a sage. It's not a human being. It's not even representing a person as the, the wisdom-filled teacher teaching the children. It's an animal. Now, these same ideas exist in alchemy, but in a whole other way, where there's even uh, this thing called bird language or bird speech, which is claimed at certain points of alchemical process, a person has to come to understand because the birds have something to teach us. But it is a whole other thing than having this make-believe, fantasy-based animal speaking to a child. Um, you really have to think about that for a minute to get what I'm pointing out. Gold as the completed and perfected form of the metals, in specific, and substance in general. Alchemy is the attempt to transmute other substances into gold. However, that attempt is understood and carried out. Right. And a lot of the stuff that I've been researching, um, this is one of the traps laid down where a person who gets into alchemy to simply try to make gold has been misled, will never be able to reap the benefits. And really, uh, whether that's a correct assessment on my part or not, gold is a metal that does not tarnish. It's pure. It's perfect. It's representative of the sun. Um, and so really, it's an allegory or a an a symbolic idea of what a human being can become in a more perfected form, maybe going to heaven or becoming enlightened is, is the allegory there. 
Yeah, from what I, I from all this research, I should say, it, it seems that the whole gold thing, in a physical way, is not what this is about. That is just, it's purely symbolic. The gold is supposed to be the purification of your soul within, that you've attained a sense of enlightenment, of, of peace, or however you want to put it, because different cultures will have their own terms for these things. But basically, the alchemy teaches you to go away from the whole physical and and the the want the greed that you would want to to create gold for yourself is actually kind of the antithesis of what this is about right i just read an, a very old story that is a good example of this idea um there was a thief who wanted this magical sword and this alchemical adept told him okay well i can show you the path on how to get this sword to make a long story short the thief strives and strives wholeheartedly to follow the alchemical adept's direction through the alchemical process to get this so-called magical sword so he could rule the world um, to cut it short when he finally gets to the point where he could have the magical sword he no longer has a need for it because he has alchemically transformed himself beyond these kind of worldly concerns and it has no value uh, for him anymore that's it that that is the alchemical story right there Right. People could probably look this up if they if they look up the magic sword and the thief. I'm not sure about that, but I'm sure you could get there. Next, we have the existence of a paradoxical form of matter, sometimes called the Philosopher's Stone or the Lapis, L-A-P-I-S, which can be used in making gold or in brewing elixirs, also called the elixir vitae, and medicines that have universal curative powers, also called panacea. Right. The elixir vitae would be, you know, basically the the elixir of life. Um, there is so much that I'm still getting through about the Philosopher's Stone. As far as I can tell, it is never defined. Uh, it is a goal, but there is another way to word Philosopher's Stone. I forget what it is, the Stone of the Philosopher, but it, it's at the outset of the path of an alchemical practitioner. And it is they are never told what it is. And through their own cunning and striving, they have to figure out what that element is to get on the path to start working towards the great work, which I guess, of course, that relates to masonry, is the philosopher's stone. That's what it appears that the great work is getting to the point of the philosopher's stone in, in a way. I guess that, that's not worded very well, but it's the best I can do right now. A method of symbolism working on the simultaneity of a series of complementary pairs the sun and the moon gold and silver sulfur and mercury king and queen male and female husband and bride christ and man and we could just go on and on right and again in so much of the symbolic art uh, that you can look up on alchemy, you'll see these kind of opposites used over and over. In some cases, they're opposites like sun and moon, but they're kind of complementary opposites. And in the Negrito process, um, in some of the literature that I have read, uh, if you take the idea of male and female during the Negrito process where you're heating them over long periods of time, they break down and then the symbolism of them biting and bloodying each other where finally they are combined. Um, and there's a lot more to the process, but that's basically what's at play in these symbolic ideas. And also the concept here is that in inevitably these things are, in fact, intertwined. Right. And you will even find in alchemical texts uh, the idea that the fall, the original sin, the fall from grace and the Garden of Eden um, in an alchemical, symbolical sense, uh, the way that they use that story is that uh, they were not matter. Adam and Eve were not matter or something to this effect. And then when they fell, um, they became matter. Um, so there's this whole teaching allegorical idea even wrapped up in the idea of the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. And again, we end up with two complementary opposites. And in a lot of the literature, you will see things said like where the cock needs a hen and the hen needs a cock to show that they're opposite, yet they require each other. Yes, exactly. So next we have the search for magical texts that come from a time when the human race was closer to the source of things or are handed down from higher intelligences, such as extraterrestrials, guardians, or their immediate familiars, during some mythical golden age in the long past. These texts deal with the creation or synthesis of matter and are a blueprint for physical experimentation in a cosmic context, as well as for personal spiritual development. They have been reinterpreted in terms of the Earth's different epochs and nationalities and cultures. 
Right. And so this golden age idea, um, I was just yesterday reading a very old account of the supposed golden age, which is related to or ruled by Saturn. The black cube symbolism is there and everything else. But the idea in alchemical parlance is it was a time when the animals could all communicate with each other and human beings. It was a time of complete balance and happiness and all these things. And maybe uh, implied to some degree that 3D materiality was less in some way in this golden age. But many people will recognize this idea from the kind of new world order idea that they're pushing for some supposed golden age, which is encoded all over the world by the black cube and Saturn in some way. Right. And I can't make heads or tails of that. I, I've heavily looked into the Saturn symbolism and the concept that Saturn was once in the sky as opposed to the sun. I don't understand how that would work unless the very nature of the solar system is drastically different than mainstream science would put forth. And of course, that is the sort of thing we discuss here. So who knows? Right. And in my view, it is very different than it has been described. And to get back to what you just stated, in my view, it is symbolic. The whole thing is kind of alchemically symbolic of whatever they're truly after. All right. Next, we have in the Occident, alchemy is early inductive experimental science and is closely allied with metallurgy, pharmacy, industrial chemistry and coinage and basically what the idea is alchemy and or an alchemist would have done a lot of these sorts of things that eventually branched off into individual sciences right in my view uh, the idea of what alchemy could be or maybe still is in parts of the world is maybe corrupted by going off into chemistry and you'll see that chemistry belittles any idea that there is any value in alchemy at all and again i will state for the record alchemy appears to me to be tightly aligned with what we call nature and like any other thing in this world it can be used or it can be misused and i think mostly what we see in the public forum today is its misuse by those in power um metallurgy there's no separating it as a matter of fact uh metallurgy is used throughout the alchemical text to show alchemical procedure and showing the purification that is acquired and the balance and the combining and the recombining and all these things to get an end result of some metal or another and maybe you could bring to mind the samurai sword um if you consider how is it possible when you know we know uh, a thing in the modern age about the metal that is in these supposed ancient samurai swords how did that first guy get to that point where he understood how to do that metallurgy to get that just supreme best he could do metal for the thing he was making called a samurai sword um anyhow i won't even address the coinage thing but there's a whole side to that too as well go ahead jason and, and what all this reminds me of is pretty much what's happened to humanity in general is that they've slowly but surely stripped away the spiritual nature and aspect of the general populace. That's, that's exactly what seems to be happening. I, I agree, Jason. It, it feels like kind of the time we're in now uh, where we're all kind of challenging things is maybe an innate human need to get back to the spiritual side of things, to get away from all this stuff that is so man-made and so much of it is a farce and so much of it that we point out here are flat out just lies put forth by people um, using basically alchemy to transmute the world mind into a mind of fantasy. Well, a mind of fantasy is not able to get back to what we call natural and to get back to these spiritual ideas that are provided by for nature if there is such a thing next up we have in the orient alchemy is a system of meditation in which one's body is understood as elementally and harmonically equivalent to the field of creation between the east and the west the body may be thought of as a microcosm of nature with its own deposits of seeds elixirs and mineral substances as well as being its own furnace for transmutation there it is i mean you're encapsulating so many of the alchemical ideas here and even to some degree the as above so below idea um it really is so closely tied with nature and what do we know about nature well we know a few things about nature nature will get done what needs to be done that's a fact Everything will occur in its season. Um, it's a system of some sort, yet it seemingly, from our point of view, is a perfect system. Um, according to the alchemical ideas, things will be not, not be lost in this system because of the ability of these four basic elements to transmute one into the other into the other and back again. Um, I, I just can't speak too much more 
about it at this point because I need to know so much more. Alchemy is joined to astrology in a set of meanings that arise from the correspondences of planets, metals, and parts of the body, and the overall belief in a cosmic timing that permeates nature. And again, you use the word, astro- the word astrology, which has been so defamed and you know means so many different things to so many different people, and a lot of people will think it's hokum, but I will again pull you back to why the zodiac matters, because it positions the sun and the planets. We can view the sky, the nighttime sky, as a clock, and when you incorporate the planets, it becomes very precise, down to the second, actually, actually less than down to the second, and this is what it's about. And again, if people are rolling their eyes, I would point out that there are still places in China that plant rice, and they live right above the rice paddies, and the head of the family leaves a window open so that when the swallows return, they make a nest in the home. This man's understanding of the bird, when the bird is returning, tells them when to plant the rice. This is the exact alchemical idea that is being referred to here. It is a man who understands what the bird is communicating by coming at this time and each year he precisely plants accordingly and if he gets it wrong they may not eat so well that winter so you can tell what's at stake here now alchemy has its own pyramid structure of how the nature of the universe is constructed so to begin with we have the four elements earth air fire and water and as crow mentioned earlier if you want to include it the ether Above that, you have the three universal principles of alchemy, sulfur, mercury, and salt. So this episode is so foundational in my view because of these ideas. I've already shown you uh, in an episode where we showed the Masonic encoding through the Vatican of Christian scripture, where they're over and over again using the idea of the four elements and using them for things like passwords and other things. In other words, they are not using a periodic table of chemicals. They are using the four basic elements of alchemy. Now, the idea of sulfur, mercury, and salt was had a huge light shined on it all at once by Hoaxbuster Clip, where he unveils Marie Curie as mercury. As we're going back through so many of the things that we talk about, we are finding this is encoded absolutely everywhere. Now, mercury likely relates to this kind of admiralty law age we find ourselves in, because admiralty law is all about water. Mercury is a water sign. Um, And I'll leave it there for now because it gets very complex, but I suspect that there will not be a whole heck of a lot more time gone by before a lot of people be able to decode the nonsense that's put before us simply by using the alchemical trinity and understanding the basics of the alchemical ideas. Now, alchemists believe in the interconnectedness or the correspondence of the universe, the duality of nature. This next quote is from the Emerald Tablet of Hermes. That which is below is like that which is above, and that which is above is like that which is below, to do the miracles of one only thing. So I started to get in this big time, and I don't know whether it's the the intro or the beginning of the Kabbalion or the Emerald Tablets these days, you can get your hands on it, and I think from like almost 15 languages maybe, people have translated this, and they put all the translations down so you can read them. In my view currently, and it may change, it certainly seems to be an allegory for a literal alchemical procedure is what's being described here. And that's where I'm at right now. And this also ties into astrotheology with the streamlined version of that statement, which is as above, so below. Right. And again, we're getting back to these ideas that have been defamed and poo-pooed and, you know, turned into hokum in the average mind where the zodiac is nonsense, um, the sun is nonsense, and, you know, all these things are nonsense. They are not. The zodiac places the sun. If we want to say where the sun is, we got to use the zodiac to do it. If we want to talk about the lights that we call planets, um, we got to do it the same way. And at the end of the day, this is the only clock we have in this world, the solstices and the uh, the equinoxes being a big part of things because these divide the seasons. And as the old cliche goes, and every, everything has its season or something to that effect. Um, I'll go into this more into the intro, I think, because of the thumbnail that I've 
produced that a lot of people may look at and go, what the heck's going on there? But um, a big part of what we see the ruling class using is the idea of hell or the devil, which is actually the winter solstice encoding the sun at its weakest point on 1221 or the, the, the numeral equivalent of 33. I will get into these things, and that also relates to um, the sign of the goat in the zodiac, which everyone's familiar with what that encodes. But anyhow, I'm getting too far afield here, Jason. Now, alchemists believe that all things are created from one thing by one thing, and this is what they call the prima materia the first matter. That one thing was believed to express itself as three things, the three principles. This is one of the earliest references to a trinity being used in spiritual concepts, and of course that is a concept that is very much regurgitated through many religious beliefs. And the way I structured this was to give folks the pyramid structure of four things, then to three things, then to two things, then to one thing, the top of the pyramid. And this is pretty much how they viewed it. And you'll see triangle or pyramid symbolism reused in, goodness, pretty much everything. Every religious concept uses it in some way, shape, or form, right? Yeah, there you go, man. It's universal. Um, and there is a reason things are universal. It's because they matter, in my view. Uh, just in the same way that the initial supposed nuclear bomb blast was done at a place called Trinity. They're encoding with alchemy. But – this, if you logically break down the idea of prima materia or the first material or the basic material or however you want to translate that, um, it's logical. You can get your head around it. You can say, I can accept that. Now let's do the other side, the Big Bang. Well, there was nothing. There was this big explosion. Then there was everything. Well, there's no prima materia there, is there? It flies in the face of these very kind of natural ideas where you, as a living being, can kind of logically go at this and say, hey, man, in a way that makes sense to me at my kind of very diaper-wearing level that I find myself. So we're going to break down the three principles now so that it makes the most sense to folks. Sulfur is the soul, mercury the spirit, and salt the body. Now, some folks would be like, aren't the soul and the spirit the same thing? And the alchemist would say, no, they are actually different things. But of course, all these things intertwine and work to be in harmony with each other. That's right. And it's encoded in so much of, of our kind of the things we even say, like referring to a person as the salt of the earth. You can see where that goes. These ideas are everywhere. They are encoded in everything. And it goes through all cultures, as far as I can tell at this point. Okay, so the breakdown of sulfur. It is a harmony of the air and fire elements. In that way, it is movable, penetrating, hot, and diffusive. Within the human body, the sulfur principle is reflected as our soul. The soul under this definition is our own unique expression of the life force. It is our individuality, our true essential nature, our essence. It is the flame of our awareness. The correlation with air is that our soul is not limited to our body. It has the ability to leave the body through astral projection, dream travel, and visionary journeying. So one thing that gets me as you're breaking this down is the idea of what imagination can be. And I have said so often in this show that it appears to me that the people in charge of this joint, whoever they may be, are using alchemy to transmute the world mind into a kind of lower subhuman retarded mindset that bases everything in fantasy. When you look at what Jason just said, there are all these symbolic, allegorical ideas. Well, what does that spur? It spurs one's imagination or intuition. And uh, in the same way in the story of Buddha, the final step to enlightenment, in a way, was Buddha imagining himself enlightened. Um, now relate this back to what we see done, being done with the news, with nonsense like dinosaurs, with nonsense like nuclear weapons. It is giving you a choice. You can believe in this or you cannot believe in this. If you choose to go the wrong way, you end up believing in fantasy, which spurs on your imagination, which leads you down a road that has no destination worth reaching to kind of try to sum that up in some meaningful way. Next, we have Mercury. And the Mercury principle is composed of the water and air elements, and as such, is a mediator between the volatile or etheric elements and the fixed elements. In traditional Greek mythology, Mercury was the messenger of the gods and was in constant movement between the above and the below. Within the human body, Mercury is the spirit or the animating life force. Whereas sulfur is the soul or the consciousness of the individual, Mercury is the life force that moves through the soul and gives it life. 
As the mediator, it's the vehicle that brings the soul down into the physical world. Now, this idea I am working on, but it almost appears to me that Mercury is going to be the key in so much of the nonsense, false flags, and ridiculous ideas that we've been handed in this world by the ruling class. Um, I believe at this point, well, I suspect is a better way for me to say that clearly, um, that Mercury has been allegorized into the devil. Um, you can see the Mercury symbol has the horns, and quite often it seems to be relating to the sun at its lowest point, which is the winter solstice, 1221, 33, which is the allegory of fire and ice or the low point of the sun being hell. We covered this in the Masonic encoding of religion through the Vatican and pointed out these ideas there as well. I suspect that as we begin to look at all the things we break down here, Mercury is going to be a big damn deal because it is a water sign, and I think it's been co-opted and is relatable maybe even to the creation of the maritime law state that has so much of this world kind of as debt slaves. But I'll leave it there for now. Mercury also used the rod with the serpent intertwined about it as his symbol as well. Right. I mean, that's that's a whole topic that we could go on for probably an hour on its own, Jason. <laughs> so we have the soul, which is sulfur, and the spirit, which is mercury. And finally, we come to salt, the crystallization, the manifestation, the vehicle through which the more subtle principles work through. Each principle progressed through various levels of density, with salt being the most dense. It is composed of the water and earth elements. You know what? I'm going to let you burn through um, the final definitions here, but I will point out that people should understand that with this trinity that Jason is describing, there are also colors and other things associated with them. This is not lost on the people who push the nonsense that we live with in this world. It's all encoded with these ideas, or it appears to be. Uh, it appears to be this way to me at this point in time. Um, who knows what I'll know tomorrow, but right now that's where I'm at. So to sum all of this up, sulfur, mercury, and salt are the chemicals of the alchemist's craft. Salt was of the earth and of the color blue. Sulfur was a fire which was spirit and the color red. And mercury was nothing. He was the messenger, as the symbolic winged Hermes is shown. His color is purple, which is the blending of the red and the blue. The alchemist realizes that he himself is the philosopher's stone, and that this stone is made diamond-like when the salt and the sulfur, or the spirit and the body, are united through mercury, the link of mind. There is no separating these things that we've been talking about from Buddhism, from Hinduism, from almost any supposed old thing we can see in the religions that were co-opted into Masonry. And again, in the episode where we showed the Masonic encoding of the Bible through the Vatican and of the saints and other things, we demonstrated that the ruling class, the king and his two best buddies, a duke and a guy named Carlisle, were using these ideas. They were basically saying spiritual things with their left hand, but they were actually implementing alchemical things with their right hand, and this was inseparable from masonry. Anyhow, I've got a, quite an intro I'm going to tag on this, Jason, and we are at the top of the hour. Is there anything you'd like to add before we bring a close? And I hope we've done an okay job with such a complex subject here. Right. Everything we went over was the, the basis and the definitions of alchemy, and then in the second hour, we're going to discuss actual principles of the spiritual es essence of it. And then we're going to get into how this has been expressed throughout history, different stories and all that, and into how film, the cinema, is the current expression of, of alchemical teachings. And we're going to discuss a little bit about 2001 A Space Odyssey again, and what, in my opinion, is the most modern uh, alchemical story, which is the original Star Wars trilogy, which is about alchemical as you can get. There it is, man. Um, and before I close, I will say, is there any value in the average person understanding things about alchemy? In my view, hell yes. Hell yes. Everything you know helps. There are things we can know that are not helpful. I do not view this as one of them. I view the use that we see by the ruling class of alchemy as a misuse in the same way a knife could carve a beautiful object or it could stab someone. I view the ruling class is using alchemy to stab someone when something beautiful could be made from these kind of natural ideas that when you logically go at them seem to have a there there. But again, we 
find ourselves all in diapers at this point of transition that we're in. We're just getting going on the path. What we know today is not what we will know tomorrow. Um, we've kind of done the best we can to define it here, but I'll bring episode 56 to a close here. Um, the second hour, maybe hour plus, will be posted on crow 777 radiocom for members, and we hope to see you all there, man. Cheers. 